Hello, this is Rabbi Mark Soloway. Welcome to A Dash of Drush, weekly reflections on our world through the lens of Torah. Well, here we are after a quite a long break. This is um, A Dash of Drush is back, and I'm very excited. I'm actually up here at one of my favorite places in the world, Ramah of the Rockies and uh, Camp Ramah. This is uh, Rabbi Noah Farkas, and uh, those of you who might be tuning in Facebook Live will know Noah. We haven't seen each other for a while. Uh, Noah is here for the first time at Ramah of the Rockies. He's a, a, a rabbi at uh, VBS, Valley Beth Shalom, in uh, the, the valley in California, LA. We just thought it would be great just to reflect on um, something from this week's parsha and a little bit about the experience of being here at yeah. Ramah and what we see. What is, how is it being at this camp? It's great. I mean, first of all, it's good to see you again. And we go back almost 20 years. Is that and, really? Yeah, can you put that? But uh, we go back a really long time and um, it's this place is gorgeous. Yeah. Um, I was just, you know, you drive up and you, the, you go up in the elevation and you start to feel it a little bit, but then you, um, you see the grasses turn into trees, which turn into aspen and pine and the whole place is just really special. And just the energy of the kids, uh, it's amazing. It's just right? beautiful. Just the love of this place, people just feel so connected here. And the energy of the, the staff, these, these young people who are just passionate about what they're doing and what they're bringing to these kids. It's really, One of the things I love, <coughs> excuse me, love about this camp is it's like the idea of challenge and yeah. that um, it's not trying to be everything to everyone, but it's a Jewish camp for kids who want this kind of experience in the mountains, horseback riding and whitewater rafting and uh, backpacking and doing survival skills. It's in mountain biking and, and archery. I mean, it's it's for kids who want that more of a rugged yeah. experience. So I really love yeah, that. the original name of the camp was Etgar Barama, Challenge at Ramah. And people do, it's amazing because this week, like most of the camp are off, most of the Chalutzin, the campers are off on Massa. They're off doing their various right. like adventures outdoors. Some of them are biking, some of them are kayaking, some of them are rock climbing, some of them are backpacking, you know. And when they come back on Friday and they come back and they're just like full of their stories and every single one of them has gone through some kind of physical challenge that they identify as being also like a spiritual and emotional challenge. And I think that's a really part, an important part of growth. I love know? that. It really is. These kids grow so much over the course of the summer here. Yeah, and I live in Los Angeles and it's a big city, lots of people, ton of traffic. And you come up here and... You know, there's those few moments when the camp is a little bit quiet and all you hear is the wind through the trees, yeah. the sun. I mean, it's just magical. The big sky. It is a magical place. Yeah, beautiful. And I think when you're up here, so you ref reflect, I reflect on Torah in a different kind of way. And we, we, we learned some some sweet Torah yesterday and it happened to be on a section of, of this week's Parsha that I haven't really spent much time with, but you have. And then we were just reflecting on, you know, that there's... The, the siblings that we have in these parshas, and this week we're in, in Parshat Chukat in Bamidbar, right. in the Book of Numbers, and uh, there's this constant interplay between Moses and Aaron and Miriam, these three siblings, Aaron's the oldest, that, and she dies in this parsha. She yeah. dies. And Actually, Aaron, Aaron dies, dies at the dies end too. too. Right. Really both die. So both right. of Moshe's siblings die. And even though Miriam is not um, 
assigned a particular leadership role, which we could have a whole feminist critique on. Because Aaron obviously has been made the Kohen Gadol, he's the uh, the high priest, and Moshe is like the leader of the people. Right. But Miriam has this incredibly important aspect. And when she dies, the people go crazy. And like, you know, traditionally there's a sense that her death uh, leads to this magical well that dries up and then the people are complaining that there's no water. And then we have, have that whole story, which we'll maybe get to in a moment. But... But there are these three aspects that we, we just looked a little bit at. The, we both got this um, this volume, Otzeh Midrashim, which is a which is the, the the basically the book of numbers, but with all of the, or not all, but a collection of the some of the midrashic commentaries. And there's this one that reminds us of the three these three elemental forces that accompanied Israel um, through the desert, and each of them is is ascribed to one of the one of these three siblings, right? So what does the Midrash say about them? There were three these Ah that Shosha Parnasim Tovim Amdul Israel Yohim Hosheva Aram Vamiriam. There were three like really important providers for the people. Right? These are three there's a family that would gave itself over to the cause of the entire nation. Yeah. Right? The three of them together. And then it says Vashalosh Mata Not Tovot Tnu Al Yadam. Each of them were given each of them represents or they have three gifts that they bring to the people. As well, the Elohim, and these are them: Abeir, Va'anan, uh, Vaman. So there are the three; these three amazing things. There is this well that gave water to the nation across the desert, according to the, the midrash. Magical well that right. followed the people around. That's right. It's like wherever they stopped, water would come up there, so that the entire encampment of of hundreds of thousands or more uh, of this nation. Could, and even though we're right? not in the desert, it's kind of like a desert climate up here. It's super yeah. dry, super hot, and right. you know the importance of having water right. and access to water. Right. The second one is the Anan, which is a cloud. And, it, you know, it's hard to think about this, but think about it this way. The cloud was actual, like, real cloud of protection from the sun. It was meant to shade the people. And, in fact, um, the Midrash... And in the Talmud, it talks about this cloud as being what we meant by the word sukkah, mm. that it is actually a cloud of protection to protect the people from the glaring sun. And they cover the That's clouds right. of glory. The clouds yeah. of glory. And they were, they were not just meant to protect them physically from other elements. It was really to, to be God's sheltering presence, which you know, I, I, I take a lot of pleasure in when thinking about because our talitot yes. are also supposed to represent that. Yeah. And why you're supposed to wrap yourself in it's like you're wrapping yourself in this cloud of protection. It doesn't protect you from much, much, but it gives you a sense of purpose. More spiritual protection than physical protection. Yeah, exactly. I mean, it's just a sense but of... clouds are. I mean, when the clouds cover, come in here right. in, in this climate, it's very... You really feel the Well, we were here. When we drove drops. up yesterday, it was yeah. hot and then like snap... Boom. Yeah. Cloud came over, there was lightning and rain yeah. and uh, everyone was scrambling a little bit and then... An hour later, the sun came out again or before dinner. So right. it's beautiful. And the last one is man or mana, which is the bread from heaven, the, uh, the amount of the special food that, that the right. Israelites collected in the desert. And each one of these three gifts, each one was associated with one of the leaders. So yeah. these are like their like food, water, and shelter. That's exactly right. Sense. Food, water, and shelter, right? So the very basic needs that were met in this liminal place between um, Sinai and, and the mm-hmm. promised land. Right. So which 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 is assigned to who? Yeah. So the the well <laughs> is associated with Miriam and um, most yeah. relevant in this parsha. The Anan is um, tended to, I believe, be associated with with Aaron, yep. right? 
Um, so it says in, in the Midrash, again, it says, um, it's because of Miriam that we had this well, and it would travel with the Israelites across the desert. Mm-hmm. Okay, and um, we'll get to what happened uh, in the rest of this Parsha in just a minute. And it was because of Aaron that this cloud went with them across the desert. In fact, one of the jobs of the Kohen Gadol was to manage the, the incense sacrifices and that the incense would go up from the people and meet these clouds. And so yeah. when the, the priest, that was one of their major jobs, and the cloud would travel with them. In fact, the, when, when the cloud would start to move by day, the, that's where they know that people are time, it's time to get up and go. And the last one, which is mana, was associated with Moses, and uh, Moses. And it really, right. it really echoes back to the part of a few weeks ago where the people are complaining to Moshe about the man, like, "Well, we're sick of this man. Mana, we want right. to eat meat. We want cucumbers. Right. Well, right, 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 right. And Moses loses it with them, as he as he does again in this part when they're complaining about not having water. It's right. interesting. It's interesting how these elemental. Uh, and and life forces that that are connected to the leadership. As soon as they're not there, the people go crazy, and it does say a lot. I think about perhaps stars of leadership, and it, and it also talks about followership. Like, right, right. There's exactly. no empowerment. There's no like. So so Moshe is like feeding them in a sense, you know. Uh, Miriam's allowing them to drink, and and Aaron is creating a sort of spiritual shelter, like you said, because of the role of the priest. In a sense, right. that's the most. Right. In a way, the most spiritual of the three, even though the the mana comes down from heaven, they are. Right. It's about the food and water is about physical nourishment more. I think about like who is this? Who is this nation? Yeah. This is the nation that came out of Egypt. Their parents were slaves. Their yeah. grandparents were slaves. Right. So they don't know how to be. So they have to be protected, Absolutely. and they suffer. Every Israelite suffers from the same syndrome which is that they believe they looked upon themselves as nothing, right? They, they experienced the trauma of slavery, and they, we know from Shlachacha that they experienced their own self-story, the story they tell of themselves, is that we're nothing. And because of that, we, um, we need to be protected, we need to be fed, and we need to be watered, and we cannot um, exist, we cannot rise up against a challenge because we are so fragile as a people, we will shatter. Hmm. And um, it takes another generation, their children born in freedom, to uh, create the resiliency to actually go into the land, which is what we see what happens here. And by the way, Moses is of this generation. Right, yeah. so he is actually coming out of his own trauma at the same time as being given this major promise and covenant by God, which might be one of the reasons why he hit the rock. It's because mm-hmm. those muscles just are still not built up inside those core muscles, spiritual muscles. Yeah, I mean the story. So just to fill us in a little bit, and I want to get back and talk about like how those three elements, yeah. what they say about the the, the people and the, these three siblings, and, and perhaps about leadership and. and who we are as leaders and educators and everything. But I just think that, you know, that just to fill in the story for those listening who aren't familiar with it, like, so Miriam dies and then immediately the next verse is, um, there was no water and the people went crazy and started complaining. And so that's why the rabbis get this idea that the world dried up as soon as Miriam died. And then there's this whole kind of, and Moses is just getting, he's like, he's already lost it, as I said, with when, when the people are complaining about me. And then God says, it's okay, just take your staff and speak to the rock and water will come out of the rock. 
But Moses at this point has lost his capacity to listen carefully to the instructions and back in Exodus, he actually did hit the rock. So like you say, his muscle memory, his emotional memory is just right. conditioned. It's like, I have a stick in my hand, here's the rock, I'm going to hit the rock. And he hits the rock twice and it says, Mayim Rabim, lots of water comes Gushing, out. Gushing, right. Gushing water comes out and the people are fed. But supposedly because of that, the Torah tells us that Moshe lost his right to be the one who was going to lead the people which is always a very troubling right. idea. But Moshe, like you were saying, it would take another generation. So it takes another generation of leaders too. It had to be Joshua who to actually took the people into the land. And so, Eleaz- Eleazar, uh, Aaron's son, Aaron's son right? right? So, and Miriam isn't with us So anymore. really we're, we're seeing the end of this generation. I, kept th- I keep thinking about, you know, a couple of things. So like the first is, can a nation survive? A community, an intentional community, a sacred community, can it survive when its charismatic leader either quits or dies or moves on to something else or, God forbid, some, something bad happens and has to leave the community? And in each one of these cases, it, there, a crisis is created, right? Mm-hmm. Miriam dies, there's no water, and the people go crazy, right? And, and when Aaron dies, the people... Are, I think that's actually a resolution to some of this is because mm-hmm. it, it's more of a peaceful transition. Um, and then we see at the end of the Torah when, when Moses finally dies, um, the mantle of leadership, the succession plan has actually been put into place and the community continues and actually grows, right? And a new covenant is actually mm-hmm. created with Joshua, right? So um, Miriam, I think, is the test case for charismatic leadership when, when things go wrong. Right, so that's the first thing, and then you, I you see you see Miriam as a charismatic leader in the way that Moshe is. Well, we know that we know that she's a prophet, prophetess, right? Yeah. And in fact, she was identified long before Moses was. And in the midrash, I mean, gosh, her role in the midrash is just so beautiful, Absolutely. right? Um, uh, Moses's father yeah. wants to give up, right? Amram, the, when they're still slaves, right? They're still slaves. Pharaoh says to Amram, "You know what? Yeah. It's over. Like we're gonna." We're going to not allow any boys to live. So Amram says, you know, what's the point of having a family if you can't have sons? And Miriam gets up and says, you know, Pharaoh said only boys. And you're saying now you're going to give up hope altogether. You're going to snuff out hope for the people. You can't do that. And he convinces her own father to continue to to try to have children with with Yochavet, and they do. Right, and and the pers- of course the person who's born out of that union is Moses. So Moses wouldn't exist in, in the midrash if it wasn't for Miriam's prophetic sort of understanding of the world. Yeah. And then of course the other midrashim around her about helping to rear and raise Moses. So she creates the environment that Moses could. Then ah, so exactly. Raise. That's why I'm saying, you see. To me, that's not charismatic leadership. Yeah. Creating environments is about nurture. It's about relationship. Yeah. And it's about the things that I think, you know, I think when I think of charismatic leadership, I don't always think of it as in a positive way. And I often think of male charismatic leadership. And there's something about Miriam's role, which is like this desperately needed sort of more female kind of leadership that is about really building relationship, about nurturing. Because water, I mean, she's connected to water. And as we were saying before we started recording, water is so often connected to Torah. And Torah is, is... this constant idea that there's spiritual nourishment, that nothing is ever just physical. And that's just, by the way, parenthetically, something that 
you know, we try over and over again here at camp to teach, like whatever the physical activity that someone may be doing, there's always Torah in it. Whether you're, if you're riding a bike, if you're right. climbing a rock, there's always like Torah in it because nothing is, is ever just physical. And I think that uh, Miriam, in a, in a quiet way, was probably um, really yeah. helping the people, you know, through nurture, helping the people develop in that way. Yeah, I mean, I think, I mean, I know from my, my rabbinate, I assume from your community too, what we try to do is we try to raise up leaders so that, um, so that like the community can almost self-generate mm-hmm. its own Jewish existence, Absolutely. right? Absolutely. Uh, it's very uh, loving to me when I created a number of years ago a feeding program for the homeless in our community. And this program ran for eight or nine years. And I used to go every Sunday with these crews of, of Jews in my community to go create, create the relationships. And then um, I had to do this thing called, in Hebrew you say, tzimtzum, is to withdraw and start withdrawing and just nurturing these leaders. And, and um, someone said, well, how come the rabbi doesn't come anymore on Sunday morning? And, and then, um, you know, someone else says, well, you know, the rabbi's job is not to feed the, home, the hungry and the homeless. The rabbi's job is to inspire a community to Jewish values. And it's our job. Yeah, that's beautiful. And, they, you know, and so unfortunately that in the programs run its course, like, you know, eight, nine years. And, mm-hmm. and then, you know, we had some little leadership issues and we're trying to restart that program. But I, it's just an example of, of creating a team of people that can create Jewish life in the context that we've helped create for them. Absolutely. And that to me is like, I, I get so much honor and joy out of doing that more than I do when I give a yeah. powerful sermon. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah, and, and, I think that, and I think that it's, it's always so, you know, when, when a, a, someone that we've taught this is suddenly taking a position of leadership or is excited, even if it's like reading some Torah on Shabbat or leading right. part of the service or whatever it might be, there's just this, way that we're that our hope is that people have their their tools to be able to do this stuff and and so in that way i think it does you know it you know i mean we should live to 120 but you know it's not about physical death but i think there is a sense of like you were saying about this generation like you know miriam and aaron and 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 moshe in a sense had to do like you were talking about Simpson about withdrawing they had to be in order for the people to go into not that things were great once they went into the land things were very easily forgotten the prophets are constantly railing against like the ways in which the Israelites forget everything that they've learned but but the point being that you know there has to be a con every generation has to re-empower people and there have to be new leaders who come forward right Someone once said to me, you know, every generation of Jews is the last generation until they decide to not be the last generation. And that's a, that is the challenge by choice that I think all of us have as Jews today. We don't live in a world where you're required to be Jewish, to be successful, to be safe, to be happy, happy or healthy. We live in a world where you can choose to act Jewishly out of your own ancient and sacred values or you choose to be with us because it's a place that meets your spiritual heart. Um, but that being Jewish is not meant to be the easiest thing in the world. But the challenge that's set to us, I believe, and I believe it when someone told me this, is that um, every generation has to choose to not be the last generation. Mm-hmm. And I think it's true of the Torah portion too, by the way. They, 
I mean, that's the, the, whole, the whole concept has almost become a cliche, but I think it's so true, the idea that we're all Jews by choice. Right. I mean, we, we, you know, we, we, there are so many distractions and ways that we're pulled to be, I mean, and some of them are very good. We're pulled, there's all kinds of ways in which we can lead lives of, of meaning and, you know, flourishing, right. worthy lives. And we, we choose, we have to choose and re-choose to, to be part of this Jewish tradition, which obviously you and I think is a pretty good one, because we, we wouldn't be rabbis, I, I assume. I dedicated <laughs> my whole life to it. <laughs> right, know. I've dedicated my whole life to it. Right. And I think, um, you know, I, 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 our community is very different. Yours is, what, two and a half thousand families or something? It's 1,500 families, 5,000 people. Whatever. In a big city. Yeah. You know, very busy. So we have different, different realities, right. but I'm sure much of what we what we hold to be true and precious and right. of value is, is the same, the same basic ideas that go into community and how we want to um, just share those, the, the, those beautiful, precious jewels. Like you talk about these three matanot, like I think, you know, these three gifts that, that are connected to the, these three siblings, the, 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 the well of water and the, and the clouds of the clouds and the, and the manna. It's like, you know, I guess we we each have to think like what are what are our gifts, you know? And there can be different gifts at different times in our right. in our in our work as rabbis or whatever. But I, I, when I when I feel my presence up here in this camp, and there, you know, um, your daughter's here. I've got right. um, you know many uh, congregants who are here, uh, and it's just there's something about seeing the excitement, as we said, of kids, and then and then just knowing that I, I you, we can be part of that we can be part of like whether it's leading a, a, a tefillah leading a prayer service or going on a bike ride with with some of the kids who get so excited and like teaching some Torah while we're on the trail or you know doing a little bit of learning with the staff I mean all these ways in which you know and you never know you know there's this I've been thinking a lot recently about this the, the whole idea about haroe etanolad like this idea of a quality that the rabbis talk about being a positive quality of a rabbi is to know know what is going to become of what the seeds that we planted which we can never really know but i think that's the point we can't ever know so we do we do what we can all of us i'm not just talking about rabbis obviously and we never know what fruits are going to grow from the from the trees of the seeds that we've planted right and i love that and i think it's you're exactly right it's not just about rabbis or prophets or prophetesses or priests I think every human being born in the image of God has a gift to give the world. And part of the challenge of growing up is trying to discover what that gift oh, is. Yeah. And you don't have to be the best, right? Yeah. Like I was never, I played French horn in high school. I was never the best. I was, there's always someone whose chair was higher than mine. Really frustrating experience for me. But I realized that like, okay, so maybe I wasn't going to get the highest notes or the clearest tone. But I was part of this thing that created music and joy for for the community. And my gift wasn't going to be the soloist, mm-hmm. right? I got a, I got <laughs> I once got a solo. I was in a junior in high school. They gave me a solo in a competition. I completely bombed it in the middle of the competition, <laughs> and it's so embarrassed and so sad. But the truth is, is that we worked really hard, and I wasn't the best player. But, you know, it's I was such there. such a powerful metaphor, the right? metaphor of an orchestra, you know. Yeah. You, you can't, every person playing that orchestra has, has a place of value and meaning, you know. It says in our tradition, you know, there's no person who doesn't have their place, their right. time, their hour. 
Um, they're, actually, they're shut out. They're hour. They're right? hour. Yeah. Uh, no thing has its place, but it doesn't have its place. But I think that um, you, you know, I've been thinking a lot about my teacher Reb Zalman, whose fifth uh, yard site's fifth the fifth anniversary of his death was this week, and he he always used to, he had this it's similar in a way to an orchestra with the, the metaphor of a human body, with every organ being a vital organ, and you can't have a healthy body unless the organs are healthy, and the different organs can represent either different parts of the Jewish world, but in this sense, you know, maybe different styles of leadership, different. You know, and this idea that we have to we have to work together, and I think the danger of charismatic leadership is that, you know, when the leader goes, that what's left, that the community right. is disembowelled. That's what we see. And like when the, a community when no that is only based on a charismatic yeah. leader, it's essentially a projection of that leader's ego in some ways. And yeah. and a lot of good can come out of that. I don't want to yeah. say that all charismatic leaders are bad because a lot of good not. can really come of out of that. Can. But the idea that someone will be so inspired that they'll self-generate yeah. without the leader's experience, yeah. direct experience, I think that's the ultimate goal of, of what we're trying to do. Mm-hmm. And I see it at camp, because we have, you have uh, at camp a number of opportunities for staff to self-organize. Um, I was speaking with one of your head staff, and they were talking about when someone has an idea here, we, we say yes before we say no, because we want to give them the opportunity to rise. Yeah. And I love that. Yeah. I absolutely love that. Um, and I just want to say one more time that I think anybody who has, you know, discovering what your gift is, and you don't have to be the best, you don't have to hold a Guinness World Record in your gift. Um, you know, it might just be your gift is that you're a good dad mm-hmm. or mom or you're a good friend at the right moment or your gift is that you, you know, you did something right for someone when you didn't have to. Yeah. Like, you know, there's yeah. a, I don't know if you've seen that on the, on the path, the going between where we are right now and up to where, where's the campers are, what mm-hmm. we call the kvar, there's all these signs with quotes on them. And one of them is a quote from... Uh, I believe it's from Rabbi Nachman of Bratislava that says, the day you were born, that God decided that the world couldn't exist without you. I love that. The day you were born, God decided the world couldn't exist without right. you, which is just such a powerful idea that we right. we come into this world with unique gifts. And yes, it can take a whole life to work out what those gifts are. but And sometimes it can change. We can feel like in one decade we're very clear that we have a certain gift and that gift may subtly change in the next decade. You know, It's not like... But I, I, so I think there, there are these, the water and the and the and the manner and the and the cloud are, are metaphors. Like like everything in the Torah is a metaphor, and we can right. find our own version of those. And it's and and this Torah, Torah portion is where we really begin to see the transition. Totally. Between the generation of yeah. the Midbar and the generation that will seize the land. Yeah. Right. And I mean, I can't help but reflect on where we are in, as a world Jewish community. And we're seeing that generational shift. The number of Holocaust survivors in the world are diminishing, mm. you know, exponentially. They'll they'll be gone very soon. And um, my children have never, uh, and I, I I have never lived, and my children have never lived in a world without the state of Israel. Yeah. So that creates a completely different zeitgeist. Sure. Um, and and so how we respond to anti-Semitism, how we respond to prosperity. Or the lack of prosperity, how we respond to people who are Jewish or not Jewish in those contexts will be very different. And we don't know exactly where we're going. It's not entirely clear. And how we respond to the suffering of others and what right. our role is in that, like, you know, 
in terms of some of the issues that you and I both care so deeply about. That's right. And just, How we hold the, the presence of another human being in our hands, whether near or far. Yeah. Right? And we don't know, but we, we are, that's why Bamidbar is such an important book. Because Bamidbar is a Hebrew name for the fourth book of Torah, which that's is right. Numbers. Book of Numbers. But why this book of the desert, of this book of transitions? Yeah. Things are going to be intense, and there's going to be a, a lot of emotional volatility. Absolutely. But in the end, we'll get to the promised land. Yeah, it's so much more about Bamidbar than Numbers. I mean, the idea yeah. of being in the wilderness is just that place, a liminal place. And it's tough. And look, I mean, look, Moses in this week's Torah portion hits the rock twice. He's at his limit. He just yeah. lost his sister. He's been fighting yeah. with the people. You know, he, 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 he's still in mourning. And yeah. they come to the first thing they ask of him is, yeah, she's gone. What about us? And he gets yeah. angry. I think that's a, and that's a really important aspect of Moshe's reaction that we don't often think about. Like, he's lost his sister. Even though she's... A lot of what we learn about Miriam, we know from the Midrash, not from the actual right. words in the Torah. Like, clearly she was an incredibly important partner in all of this. And, like, the, the idea that because he's a leader, he, he can't have his own grief, which is something that I think a lot of leaders struggle with. Like, how do we, how do we grieve? How do we show our own vulnerability and loss? Right. But you know what? That's a whole different subject I think we're not going into. I think we should wrap things up for now but uh, do you have any parting thought about this I mean we, we covered a lot of ground here yeah very wide ranging very wide ranging but I think the theme that we come back to is just about it's about transition from one generation to the next generation it's about choice I know that the Judaism that my grandparents grew up with is different than the Judaism that my parents grew up with which is different than the Judaism that I grew up with and when I'm at camp and I see the halutzim here and I see the Judaism that they're growing up with, which is not the same right. that I grew up with, so I'm actually excited. Yeah, uh, I'm actually excited and inspired because more than any other generation in the history of the Jewish world Jewish community, these kids are freer and more prosperous to explore what Judaism means to them than ever before. And they're choosing to do it. They're taking up that challenge and they're choosing to do it. It's very exciting. It is exciting. I think there's a lot of hope. I feel a lot of hope. Me too. I mean, there's some, some very scary trends in our world right now and some things that we should legitimately feel afraid of, but there's a lot to feel good about and hopeful about. So I'm into that. Let's leave it there. And thank you so much. It's been great to see you. It's good to see you. And, and so nice to be here. And I'm glad we got another day or two to, to hang out and get to experience what all these other people are experiencing here. Amen. Amen. Thank you for listening to A Dash and Drush. We will see you next time.